red lights on. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, okay. Um, when Richard first asked me if I would do this, which was oh, probably over a month ago, um, I immediately had something came into my mind of what I was going to do, but it was related to the children. Um, as the time got nearer, Richard said to me, there won't be any children here. <laughs> so um, what was originally going to be a talk to the children uh, had to be turned into a talk to the grown-ups. Um, and then he said, I don't think you'll get many people. So it's probably only going to be, you know, like half a dozen. Um, but are you, are you all right with that? And I said, that's fine. So I planned it as a Bible study because I thought if there's only half a dozen people here and I'm standing up, you know, it's a bit disconcerting, to be honest. And I'm a bit overwhelmed by the fact that actually we've probably got as many people here as we do on a normal Sunday. <laughs> um, so I think it still works. I hope it's going to work. What I've done is I've given out to most people here a Bible reading. Um, and you'll have to, I'll, I'll tell you what the reading is and then you'll have to uh, listen out for whether it's your one or not. But don't worry, don't be keep looking in your Bibles to try and see. We've, we've, got, we've got plenty of time, haven't we? And this, I've timed it, it's a 20 minute message, so um, if all goes well, we're finished by 22. So <laughs> we should perhaps cut that. <laughs> oh, right, so... I'm talking about Advent. <laughs> Christmas is coming, the geese are getting fat, please put a penny in the old man's hat. That was an old nursery rhyme that would have been said as we drew, we drew up to, towards Christmas. My children have a kind of more up-to-date thing. I say to them, oh, Christmas is coming, and they'll go, oh, six more sleeps, Grandma, till Christmas time, or four more sleeps till Christmas time. Uh, they're not uh, they're down with their other grandparents now, so it will be two more sleeps to Christmas time. So we have kind of different, like, ways that we look at Christmas is coming. And I'm sure there's some women amongst us here who are like, Christmas is coming, oh my goodness, am I going to get everything done in time? Um, the church has traditionally called the four weeks, the four Sundays before Christmas, Advent. And I noticed only last week that we have um, an Advent candles. I haven't actually seen any of them alight, but <laughs> but anyway, um, that was just one of the traditions of the church to light a candle each week um, as you come up. And of course, you've got the fifth candle there. Not always, I noticed on Advent candles that you have the fifth one, and that's Christmas Day. Um, other traditions that the church has to do with uh, Christmas was fasting. Again, we don't see so much now of people fasting the four weeks before Christmas because traditionally um, it would have been a bit like the, the food bank people. You know, you wouldn't have had a lot of, of uh, money to have lots of food. You would have fasted, you would have prayed, and then Christmas would have been this time of abundance which you didn't normally have. Now, to be honest, with most of us these days, we have abundance 52 weeks of the year. Um, there, there are still some ch traditions in churches who do that, and certainly some churches certainly do 
the fasting up to Easter, don't they? What we call Lent. Um, or people will just give up chocolate or something for Lent. So we have traditions that we have built around this Advent time. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted this song that we that we sang, which thank you for that because I know it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't easy. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and rescue captive Israel. For literally hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the Jews were waiting for the Messiah. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and that's that's the word that they knew. Emmanuel is Messiah, it's Saviour, it's Rescuer. That's what it means. So, for at the time of Jesus, this is what people would have still been expecting. And unfortunately today, the Jewish nation is still saying, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and rescue captive Israel. We have amongst our uh, family some, uh, some who are Jewish. And I know that on a Friday they meet together in their family to have a, have a meal, very much like that they have a proper meal, and they open the door and say, come, for Messiah to come. They're still waiting. How sad is that, that after all those years of waiting and reading the scriptures, they still are waiting for the Messiah that we know came 2,000 years ago. So, when you look at the Old Testament, which of course was and is still the Jewish scriptures, there are actually 300 prophecies, 300 relating to the, um, the birth and the life of Jesus. And I think it's quite interesting and God-inspired that Keith read prophecy this morning, because that's what I'm going to be talking about and what we're going to be looking at in the Bible. The prophecies that were made about Jesus in the Old Testament hundreds of years before he was born and how they were fulfilled by the birth of Jesus. Now, you'll be pleased to hear there are 19 of these and I'm only going to look at three, which is why we can be, we're not going to be here all morning. Um, but they were just three that I picked out. I could, have, I could have used some of the others, but what I tried to do was relate them to some of the perhaps the readings that we're here tonight, which are actually fulfilment of scripture. Um, so when we look at um, some of these readings and things, and we look at the Bible, one of the things I think is so amazing is the fact how accurate everything is, how God told people in detail what was going to happen, but um, even when it, even for some of them, when it happened and they could see it, they still didn't understand. And that's the hope we now know is the Holy Spirit, that they obviously didn't have the benefit of that, knowing that we need the Holy Spirit as well to reveal Scripture to us. So let's look at, let's look at these three, and let's look at the, um, the Old Testament and then the New Testament, and then I'm going to try and pull together why, why that was. So first of all, somebody has got the reading from Isaiah 7.14. Oh, thank you, Margaret.
And then there's Matthew 1, 18 to 23. And then the Luke one twenty six to thirty three. Thank you. That's all right. Okay, no, that was right. You did, you did it to the right part. <laughs> okay, so two things about that. First of all, we know in the Jewish tradition, names are really important that sometimes your name is actually changed because of God intervening in your life. So we look at Paul, who became Saul, Abraham, whose name was changed, uh, Peter, whose name was changed. So uh, for us, it's perhaps not so obvious how a name, you know, what do we do when we choose a, 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 for a child? Very often it's a popular name or it's a name that's been in the family. Um, very often we don't know what the meaning of the name is. Some people do have these name books and they look it up. But for a Jew, your name defines who you are. So therefore, it's very important. So when in these readings you see it comes over and over again, what is he to be called? Because it's going it's to make sense to people when they hear this name, um, what his purpose was. So we have the name Jesus, which actually comes from the, the, the Jewish word for um, Emmanuel, Jesus, Ye God with us. So we have Emmanuel, Jesus, the same. 
It also has a root of Joshua, so that's quite interesting with, with Joshua just doing the reading there. Um, it also means rescuer and deliverer, and we read, we sang that, didn't we, this morning, to rescue captive Israel. So it starts to draw a picture in people's minds, in the, certainly in the Jewish people's minds, this is what the Messiah is going to look like. He is going to be God, because he's God with us, so he is going to have all the attributes of God, but he's also going to be a, a rescuer, a saviour. He's going to come and deliver us, so therefore he must be human. He's got to be grounded in earth, because how else is he going to come? He's going to come and live with us, and he is going to rescue us. Um, and so there's this picture, which of course now we're looking back with hindsight, and we think, oh yeah, that's obvious, isn't it? That is obvious. That's what he was going to do. But obviously it wouldn't have been obvious in Isaiah's time. This is 600 years before the birth of Jesus. 600 years before he was born, God is telling Isaiah, tell the people when he comes, he is going to rescue you. He is going to be your saviour, but he is also going to be God with you. So it's, he's trying to make it clear. He's given a signpost for people to look at and say, when he comes, you'll recognise him because this is what he's going to... And he's going to be called... He's going to be called Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Um, the other thing which is really important in this, and it must have been really as strange to the, to the people in Isaiah's time as it is to the ordinary man in the street now who doesn't know the Christian story, that he had to be born of a virgin. Now, why? Apart from the fact that it's practically impossible to start with, physically speaking, it's impossible, um, and everybody's going to know that, um, but why? And it's brought in over and over again that he is going to be born of a virgin. Why? Now, again, if you understand Easter, you understand that. If you don't know why Jesus died for us and how he was able to die for us, you wouldn't understand why it's important that he was born of a virgin. There was a lot of controversy in the, in the church um, 10, 15, 20 years ago by a minister who came up and said it doesn't matter if Jesus wasn't a virgin birth. Now I'm thinking, but then you don't understand the gospel because he had to be both man and God. But the man side of him, obviously, hadn't got to come through Adam, had it? Because if he came through Adam, he would have been fallen, and therefore he would not have been sinless. So if it had been an ordinary birth, he couldn't have saved us. So this vicar, who actually was quite a well-known, wrote books and all this and taught at Cambridge, um, I thought, you've just misunderstood a real fundamental part of the Christian message. Because if you're saying there's a virgin birth, then we're all lost. If it's not a virgin birth, we're all lost. Because he couldn't have saved us. So there's this reliance on that as well. And that's why, again, when you look at the, the things that we read, they, it will come out over and over again, the fact that it had to be a virgin birth. So the second one that I've um, 
that, that I've talked about is, um, is in mica. So that's mica 5.2. Thank you. I'm sorry, you got the, you got the worst one for <laughs> pronunciation, didn't you? Luke 2, 4 to 5. And then you've got another one, Matthew 2, 1 to 6. So there are three things really in there to do with our signpost that says this is what the Messiah is going to look like, this is, this is going to be how you can tell. One of them was the fact that he was going to be born in Bethlehem, which was a very small place. Um, the Ephrata, that bit that's kind of hard to pronounce, I'd, I always thought that that was sort of like a, an exclamation, you know, a, 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 a wonderful Bethlehem. No, apparently, and I've learned something this week, that was actually just a province, so it was a, Bethlehem was in like we are Adelston, Surrey. This was Bethlehem, Ephrata, which was part of the whole thing, Judea. Um, and I didn't know that. It was just one of those awful pronunciation things in, in, in the readings at Christmas that you have to get your tongue over. Um, so this is, this is only a tiny place. So it's like us saying, you know, um, out of the whole of England, the Messiah is going to be born in Adelston, and it would be a lot, lot, lot smaller than Adelston. So, uh, and also, it would have the same thing. Well, why Adelston? You know, why not Windsor, or you know, um, somewhere really posh? You know, why, why, why Adelston? Um, so, one, he had to be born in Bethlehem. Um, two, he had to come from the line of David. So, we're cutting this down, aren't we? You know, we've got all the Jews, and now we're beginning. We know his name, we know where he's going to be born, we know that he's got to come from the line of David. And if you've ever had to stumble through the first chapter of Matthew, you realise that you, he could actually, step by step, take his thing back to the, the line of David. And this, again, is very important from, the, from, from a Jewish perspective, is, um, is that they have an un- blemish line and that's why they shouldn't intermarry uh, and still today it is a big deal with a Jew if he marries out um, because he is stopping that that line um, which is should step right the way back to Abraham even today so we've got Bethlehem we've got he's got to be date he's got to come from David and the other thing is 
the really odd one that you might not notice at the end of Micah, it says, whose origins are from old and ancient times. Now, what does that mean? Well, obviously going back to David is quite ancient, isn't it? In, in Jewish terms, in the Old Testament, you're still going back hundreds of years. But we know, again, looking back, that Jesus was not born for the first time in Bethlehem. He started at the creation with God. When God breathed creation, he was part of the Godhead. So the fact that he appeared to us in, in a man's form when he was born on earth was not his beginnings. So he was there from the beginning. In, it, it, we read, don't we, at, at uh, Christmas time, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yeah. If you put in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was the Word, then you understand that, again, that he was there all the time. So we know that he's got to have been born in Bethlehem, he's got to um, have come from the house of David, and he has been there from the beginning of time. So now we really have got it down to one person, haven't we, by the time you get to that. You, you know, there can't, there can't be a mistake about it. What I think is, is really funny, and actually it's come out again this morning, you know, where we've got a, something that's a number one um, against all the odds. Um, the Romans were the reason why Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So the Romans, who certainly didn't want, you know, thought the Jews were a pain in the neck, um, were the ones who were an instrument in fulfilling that prophecy. And that's the interesting thing, that God uses people who, you know, aren't Christians to fulfill his prophecies. So, um, when they were told, poor old Mary, imagine, you know, like you're nearly, you know, you're pregnant and you've got to traipse across the country back to, to Bethlehem because that's where they've said everybody had to go to their birthplace. So that's another reason why Joseph was chosen, wasn't he? Why Joseph? Well, one, because he could hear from God, and two, because he, he was going to have to go back to Bethlehem. So God's so clever, isn't he? How he how he weaves these things together um, to to uh, ensure that we we're clear because he's not doing that for his own sake. He's doing that for us because he knows basically we're thick, and he's going to have to really kind of pound it in us to get us to understand. Um, and I suppose for me, what this means is again, it's the integrity of Scripture. It's, you know, Keith's been able to read out here um, Isaiah's prophecies, you know, 2,600, 700 years ago, and it's as relevant to us today as it was then. Um, the fact that all these people who wrote these things lived in different times, and yet when we start to go around and pick all these scriptures out, they agree with one another, they're, they're one. How would you get, you know, sit your books together and get them to all agree? We can't even get our parliament to agree, can we, at the moment, let alone, you know, um, people thousands of years apart to agree. Um, but they do all agree. So, so that's, for me, um, is this, you know, thank you, Lord, that you help us to understand what's going on. And uh, you don't just tell us, well, this is the Messiah, 
put up with it, you know, gently leads us. The people who are going to have baptism gently led on this path to making that decision. But we are not waiting for a Messiah, thank goodness. Um, we know he's come. But we are in a second Advent period. We are now in, these, in, the, in the days which lead up to the end of time. And this time, I think it's really interesting. God tells us, I am not going to give you a clue. I am not going to give you like I did the Jews. Maybe you learned this lesson, because I gave them all those clues, and they didn't take any notice of me. We, you know, Jesus himself said to us, I'm going to come again, and you're not going to have a clue when it is. I'm not going to, you're not going to give you any clue. Um, if people come to you, as we know they have, I mean, they're really good at this in America, aren't they, having these people who pop up and say, oh, you know, the, the end days are coming, stock your larder. Um, I saw it on the television not so long ago. Somebody who's got all this food and everything stored up because, the, you know, there's going to be this apocalypse that's going to come. And, um, but he says, no, no, you're not going to know this time. You're not going to have had a look in the scripture and see and have a clue as to when this is going to happen. In fact, he actually did a parable, didn't he, of the foolish virgins. You know, they had all their little lamps and they didn't put enough oil in them and they went out by the time the, the bridegroom was coming. So the bridegroom is Jesus, isn't it? And if we're not ready, it could be, you know, we could be making all these preparations for Christmas and he comes tomorrow. <laughs> Couldn't he? You know, we don't know. Um, so we mustn't be complacent. We mustn't think, oh, well, you know, the Jews didn't, you know, they didn't get it right. And, you know, a lot of them, they're all misguided. Because I think a lot of the church is misguided because it's complacent. Um, if you thought Jesus was coming tomorrow, would you not go and tell your neighbor or your relation who doesn't know Jesus? Wouldn't you be going and telling them if you knew tomorrow he was coming? You would, wouldn't you? You wouldn't let anybody, um, you know, go to hell if, if you knew the date. Just because we don't know the date doesn't give us a let out. It's not a, you know, get out of jail card. Um, it's still relevant for us today. So we're in the second advent. And I think it's really interesting in this church that what are we talking about for this year? Evangelism. Going out and telling these lovely people that Reg serves, you know, and Wendy serves in the job club and, 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 and Daniel goes out and look, I know lots of you go with him to the cat people. Um, going and giving them food. But food is you know, just, is, it comes to nothing in terms of eternal salvation, does it? Because even if you see somebody healed, eventually they're going to die. Um, you know, and when you get older, you kind of appreciate that a bit more. Um, but uh, to give somebody salvation is the best present you could give anybody, isn't it? So, um, yeah, second advent. Thank, thank you. Thank you all of you for doing that. I'm amazed it worked. <laughs>